Hi, and welcome to episode 7 of the Crazy Science Report. You're listening to Tanya Faber, the senior science reporter at the Sunday Times. There's been a hiatus in these episodes, firstly because of the festive season, and more importantly because I was actually sick myself with COVID-19. And I would describe myself as having been moderately ill. I was not hospitalized, but I certainly was not asymptomatic, and I certainly did not have mild disease. So this has raised a lot of questions for me, which I thought might be of interest to the thousands upon thousands of other South Africans who've also been ill. And the question is around immunity. We've heard a lot about vaccines in the last few days, and we have focused on vaccines for obvious reasons, but I was wondering about natural immunity. If you've been sick, can you rest assured that you will not get sick again? And what is the minutiae of information behind all of that because it's not just a simple yes or no. So I was very lucky to get some time with Prof Shabir Madi. He's a top vaccinologist at Wits University and he has also been at the coalface really of the clinical trials in South Africa for the vaccines. So I hope you learn a lot from this. If you've already been sick you'll find it very interesting. If you have not yet been sick I think you will find it very interesting too. So I hope you enjoy it and learn as much as I did by getting some time with Prof Muddy. So when the first wave finally hit South Africa and peaked, we were seeing thousands of new infections every day and professors were also telling us that there were in all likelihood a great many asymptomatic cases. So this means that you know, there was a possibility that thousands upon thousands of South Africans were actually immune, at least for some time going forward. But what professors now agree on is that we had no idea how quickly it would mutate and what the nature of the mutation would be. So here Prof Madi talks about the mutations and how this has affected levels of immunity in South Africa. So Prof, a lot of people who got sick in the first wave I think felt quite confident that this had given them a level of immunity. However, since then, a lot of information has emerged about the mutations and the new variant. To what extent would you say somebody who was sick in the first wave is still protected now at, you know, the following year? So I think this is something that we couldn't have predicted in that uh, virus was going to mutate, especially at very uh, mutations involving the genome that codes for very important components of the spike protein, uh, which are related to past infection being able to protect against uh, reinfection. Uh, the summary of it is that uh, what is clear, unfortunately, is that uh, past infection with the earlier variant that was circulating in South Africa or earlier variants, unfortunately does not confer protection against mild and moderate illness uh, due to the current variant, variant in South Africa, which is responsible for more than 90% of all infections, uh, but we are uncertain as to whether early infection with different variants would protect against severe disease from the current variant. The other thing I was really curious about is whether the severity of the illness that you have determines the level to which you will be immune going forward. Obviously, for personal reasons, I wanted to know because I had been moderately sick. And I was also just interested to know if, you know, an asymptomatic person had gotten off so lightly and now had the same level of immunity as someone who ended up fighting for their life in ICU. So listen to what Prof Madi said about that. 
So most of your disease tends to result in a much more robust antibody response, uh, especially in the immediate period after infection. So when you measure antibody, let's say about 10, 14, 30 days after infection, uh, people with more severe disease do have a much more robust uh, antibody response than people with mild and moderate illness. Uh, previously, there was some suggestion that the antibody would wane much quicker in people with mild and moderate illness or asymptomatic infection compared to those with severe disease. Uh, but what that sort of analysis doesn't factor in uh, is the type of memory responses that are induced. And what is really important in terms of what happens with subsequent exposure is not just the antibody that's circulating, but just how well the underlying memory cells have been induced. Uh, and evidence uh, suggests that, in fact, irrespective of uh, the severity of the initial illness, you usually have this, the priming of these memory cells, which are sort of ready uh, to mount a rapid immune response when you are re-exposed. Uh, in addition to which, uh, it seems that the severity of illness probably has less of an impact uh, in terms of the T-cell immunity that is induced. Uh, so antibody, the antibodies are just measured in uh, the circulating in the blood on its own might be misleading in terms of what the relevance of that heightened antibody response is uh, in the immediate period after infection in people with severe disease uh, in terms of its long-term implications. So as I understand it, the severity of the illness notwithstanding, you basically get the priming of your memory cells. So the severity of the illness has less of an impact and it's more about the type of antibodies that are activated. We're going to take a short break now and when we come back we're going to be talking about the dynamics of household transmissions and also the value or lack thereof of antibody testing. Stay tuned. True Crime South Africa is a podcast that unpacks solved and unsolved true crime cases in South Africa. If you're interested in advertising on our platform, please forward all advertising queries to timeslive.co.za. Hi and welcome back. You're listening to episode 7 of the Crazy Science Report. I am Tanya Faber, the senior science reporter at the Sunday Times. And today we are talking about all things to do with natural immunity as opposed to immunity conferred by vaccinations. Let's continue. I was also very interested to know what the risk factors are or what the risk percentage is when you are in a household with someone who's sick. Now, for this, it's important to bear in mind that one of the most dastardly things about this particular virus is that you are your most infectious even before you get symptoms. So one would assume that you definitely pass it on to someone in your household, but it's actually quite a complicated thing. And I think Prof. Maddy explains it perfectly. So listen to what he had to say. So most of the household transmission studies that have been done uh, especially in more better resource areas with sort of not too much overcrowding in the household, uh, indicates that probably roughly about one third of people in that household will get infected when there is an index case in that household. So someone that is infected in the community comes into the house or is infected, uh, that person hopefully tests early enough, as soon as it becomes symptomatic, they identify to be positive. 
provided that the household is not overwhelmingly overcrowded uh, and there's sort of some level of physical distancing between people within that household, the chances of other people getting infected in that household is in the region of about 30 to 40%. So it doesn't mean that someone is infected in a household that they're going to transmit it to everyone else. And the reasons for that is multifold. Like I said, firstly, it's that uh, the person that is infected, if they're keeping a distance from other members of the household, they're less likely to transmit. And especially now that we know that the main modality of transmission is actually airborne transmission rather than contact with contaminated surfaces, as an example. The other reasons for it uh, include that it also depends very much on the amount of virus uh, the person that is infected has got during that acute phase. So people with the lower viral load uh, after they've been infected, and there's a number of reasons why the viral load will differ between people after they've been infected, but people with the lower viral load in the upper airways would be less likely to transmit the virus to other members in the household or other mem members they might have been in contact with. Uh, the ones that, we are, that are more likely to transmit are the people that have got much higher viral loads, uh, in that acute phase. And when I'm talking about the acute phase, I'm talking at least uh, up to about 10 days after they've been infected during that period of time. If they got higher viral loads, they're more likely to transmit. If they're in very close contact with uh, other members in the household, they're more likely to transmit. So a person that's taking precautions in the household after they've been diagnosed as being positive, uh, it doesn't mean that... Uh, probably would mean that they're less likely to infect other members of in the household if everyone is taking the necessary precautions, especially in terms of uh, ensuring that there's good ventilation in the household and they're not spending uh, close, they're not having too much close contact, uh, especially without the wearing of face masks in that household. So I was interested to know what the biggest culprit would be in spreading the disease. We know that there are various forms of transmission, but it seems that in the second wave, the transmission rate has been enormous. And Prof. Madi says that, that this is not just because of how transmissible this variant is, but also because of some behavioral factors. And he puts a lot of emphasis on mass gatherings. Yeah, and the most likely reason is that the person that has got infected has ended up going to a party or has ended up going to some sort of a gathering. Uh, and likely got exposed at that level. Uh, and when I'm talking of gatherings, I'm talking, I'm including as an example, a person that goes to work and then wears a mask the entire day, but then goes to the tea room and has tea with 10 other people. Uh, that is a bad idea. And those are the type of activities that would lend someone to unknowingly become infected. Even when the workplace has got screening of symptoms before you enter into the workplace, that counts for very little especially in a younger age group demographic where the majority of infections are actually asymptomatic. Uh, so usually, I mean, the evidence indicates that more than 80% of all infections that take place uh, are consequence either directly or indirectly because of uh, mass gatherings. So it's a one person that might have gone to a mass gathering, got infected, uh, goes and visits another set of family members without wearing a face mask, in the house, as an example, and they would spread it, and that person would go back to their space and consequently uh, sort of import uh, the case into their own uh, immediate environment. So then I got to the gist of what I wanted to ask Prof Maddie for personal reasons, and that is, you know, if you got sick in the second wave and were most likely infected with the so-called South African variant, are you at least protected from getting that again? You know, we've spoken about people who got sick in the first wave with the previous variant, 
and whether that confers immunity against the second or, should I say, newer variants. But I wanted to know, as someone who had been sick in the second wave, likely with the new variant, what are my chances of actually getting sick again? Yeah, so the same principles uh, apply. Uh, and, well, it really depends, again, whether there's another variant that uh, evolves. Uh, and if there's another variant that evolves, it's very different to the current variant that's predominating in South Africa, that's dominating in South Africa, then we sort of back to square one. Uh, where it doesn't mean that you're necessarily protected. And that's the reason why it's important for us to, be, to continue with the type of systematic surveillance that's underway in South Africa. And South Africa very much is sort of leading in that space in terms of sequencing the virus so we can get a good idea in terms of what uh, evolution is taking place in the virus. And that would allow for a more educated guess in terms of what the risk is uh, to people that have been infected this time around when it comes to a future resurgence. If the virus hasn't changed much, uh, what we then expect is that people that have been infected this time around should uh, theoretically be protected uh, against uh, at least more severe disease than what they experienced this time around, and probably might well be less infectious as well. So again, a number of moving parts to it, uh, but difficult to predict uh, without being able to foretell what's so how the virus is going to behave. I think the virus behavior has become less predictable than people's behavior now. So this conversation thus far with Prof. Madi made me really wonder about my own family and my own personal anecdote and how that fitted into the bigger picture of what other families must be going through. You know, having been the only one in my family who was sick, after being an incredibly careful person and not going to any social gatherings at all, I had assumed that I'd gotten sick from one of my children, and then when I took them for antibody testing, they had tested negative. So I was left very confused. But after chatting to Prof, I began to suspect that I had put too much store by the actual antibody testing. Um, the, you'll hear how he describes it. It certainly does not inspire confidence and does not make one feel like one has spent 150 to 250 rand per test in a valuable way. Listen to what he had to say. A high percentage of infections are asymptomatic and more so in younger individuals. So as an example, in a teenage group in the early 20s, probably roughly about 60 to 70% of infections are asymptomatic. As you go into the older age group, a greater percentage of infections manifest with symptoms. Uh, it's difficult to tell exactly who you got it from, uh, but uh, very likely that children, uh, especially if you spend a lot of close time with your children, uh, that they certainly would pose a risk. Uh, I mean, I've got well, we also need to be careful uh, in that some of these antibody tests can give you a false negative result. Uh, and that's the reason why, in fact, uh, doing an antibody test has very little value at an individual level. Uh, uh -huh. It actually doesn't okay. tell you much at all. Uh, mm. It doesn't firstly tell you, it doesn't conclusively say that you're not infected, that you haven't been infected because of the false negative test. Uh, there's less of an issue in terms of false positive tests, but some of the tests can be a false positive, which means that even if you're positive, it doesn't mean that you are infected. Uh, and the antibody test at an individual level, in fact, has got almost zero uh, sort of role. Uh, it doesn't assist you in terms of determining anything. It doesn't tell you whether you're protected against future infections. It can be misleading about your past uh, exposure. It's useful at a level of understanding what percentage of the population might have been uh, infected. But at an individual level, it's something that pretty much is almost a futile test. Uh, okay. To put it okay. in any other way. Okay, okay, no, that's very interesting. I think 
some of the chemists are making a lot of money off it, but you know. Yeah. I'm still convinced that you get much greater value spending the money going to McDonald's or Nando's uh, than the value that you get getting a result from the antibody test. <laughs> So there you have it, we cannot control how the virus behaves or mutates, and we cannot predict how it will mutate or when. But what we can control is our own behaviour, and so we should. I think you would agree with me that a third wave would be a bridge too far for many South Africans to deal with, and I, for one, am hoping and hoping and hoping that we are not heading into a lifelong experience of this disease without natural immunity and without vaccines coming to the rescue. Thank you so much for listening to the Crazy Science Report and I hope you have learned something from it. Cheers. Cheers.